the goal is just to be rational. If we have feedback, we can back up with the data we retrieve, the user test, etc. It's just to be solid on what we propose. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast that brought you by the UX Writing Hub, an educating platform for writers in tech, content designers, UX writers. We have the UX Writing Academy, which is a six-month program helping people to get into the field of UX writing. And uh, the Writers in Tech podcast is a platform for us to talk with the most talented UX writers and content designers on earth. And today, I am very excited to have a very talented writer. She is from France. Her name is Hélène Legendre. And she is a UX writer for a startup that is exploding these days named Open Classrooms. I've been following this startup for a while now. And I'm very excited to have her. So, Hélène, welcome to Writers in Tech. How are you? Hey, fine. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being our guest. Before we start, I want to ask you, what is your background and how did you got into UX writing? First of all, I always love to read, to write. In high school, I took literature classes. But I was also a book person, but a person person, so to say. I really love to chat. And one of my teachers told me that I should do communication because I was communicating a lot. So I listened to her and I studied communication first. So it was more general, more sociology, psychology, and communication strategy. And my first work experiences were, I was working as a digital project manager in some agencies in Paris, but it was really uh, general. (laughs) And at one point, I felt that I needed to come back to what I like which is the words, writing, and communicating ideas. So I was having job interviews, but I didn't want to write long articles to do SEO content or even so much marketing content. But in one job interview, one recruiter told me about UX writing. So I was not knowing at all what it was. So I did my research, looked at articles, and yeah. This was the match, so to say. I found about UX writing in a job interview, and this is how I got to the field. And what was the most useful content that you've encountered while exploring this field? I can't recall the articles, but actually, like lots of people, I think I did daily UX writing challenge. So it helped me to understand what we were talking about, how content should be perceived as design, how to structure information, etc. So this was really useful resource at the beginning. All right, very cool. So you work in a platform named Open Classrooms. Now, Open Classrooms is an online education platform. You can have like free courses and you have like paid path where you can do like path of web developer and become a web developer. And those are like the paid programs. So tell us more about this platform and what are the challenges and who are your users today and so on. So Open Classrooms has approximately 20 years old, actually. It started in the early uh, 20 years ago. As you said, we have the free content. So all courses are free and they are created by learning designers. And these courses address specific market needs. So it means that we don't provide courses just for fun or just because we're interested in the topic. 
it's because there is a need. The market look for these competencies, these skills. So we provide courses. And aside from that, we provide training programs, which are recognized in France. So it delivers something which is called RMTP title. So it's a state-recognized diploma. Not all of them, but lots of them. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's really reassuring because we address lots of different people, people that are just going on with their studies, but also people that are reskilling and companies that also provide training for their employees. So it's really reassuring when you can provide some certification and insurance that the content is uh, state-recognized. So you said it's like 20 years old website? Yep, it started as Le Site du Zéro which is the website of the Dero. <laughs> and it was yeah, in the early 20s. It changed a lot and it became a company in 2013, I believe, if I remember correctly. That's crazy. And I want to ask about... Okay, so I know that you're based in France and I know that the diploma is French, recognized by the country, but it's relevant also from people outside of France because I started the content is in English. Yes, some of the content is in English and we provide English training programs and French training programs. I think the certification is not in the US, for example, it's not recognized yet, but it's something in progress because we are scaling, we are growing and especially with the pandemic. But lots of people from all around the world follow courses and training programs. We have students in Africa, we have students in India, we have students in the UK. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's worldwide. Amazing. As a UX writer working in an online education company, can I call it EdTech, by the way, like education yep. technologies? You can. So as a UX writer working in education technology, what are the main challenges that you have today when it comes to helping your users to use the platform and so on? What are the main challenges? The first that comes to my mind is that Open Classroom is as 20 years old. So it's a platform who has lots of legacy, lots of things to work on. And it's also when I arrived, understanding the context, what were the decisions taken before, and even how the product was working. This, this can be really complex, and we have lots of situations, variables, and for example, a student that a student can assess his skills through project presentation, but there are certain conditions to be able to present a project, and there are several kinds of students. Some are financed, some are not financed, and this create specific conditions and steps in the product. So understanding everything, having the, not the whole picture, but uh, yeah, <laughs> trying to understand how everything was just cohabitating together was one of the first main challenge. And communicating, what is your exciting? What do we do? What is our value? This is still uh, something that we, we are working on. It's not set in stone. It's not perfect yet. So broadcasting, showing your work and, and the value of your exciting to our team and to the whole company also. Because everyone can benefit from what you do, I think. Yeah. I agree. And do you write mainly in French or also in English? So we are two UX writers, Open Classrooms, take care of the French side of the platform. The other UX writer, Louise, Louise Sonwell, she's the owner of the, not all, but lots of the English aspect of the platform. So I'm writing in French, but we are communicating in English and, and the company also, uh, as it's international, we are communicating in English. But for me, it's French writing. Mm -hmm. And how does your process look like? Right now, there is some kind of a ticket or a challenge or someone asks you to rewrite something or improve something. How does it look like? 
Actually, this is also a challenge <laughs> because we are working on the process. And at first, it was not tickets that were coming to us. It was us going to the tasks. So it was we needed to retrieve the background, information, the deadlines, etc., all the context. But we got help from the designer, even from developers, from PMs, from lots of people. But it was not yeah, tasks coming to us. This is evolving, changing. So now we are trying to be delivered information and context because it can help you to save time. And if I'm, I can talk about my process. Like for example, if it was in a week, you are asking about the like the writing process or just uh, in a pro in a project in in general. So basically, we know already that uh, the writing aspect of UX writing or content design is only a small fraction of the actual things that you're in charge of mm -hmm. in your day-to-day -day work. So I'm asking about your main approach to new projects okay. and also your writing process. So what's your preparation is like, what's your process is like, yeah. and then how you combine it with your writing. The approach to process starts with trying to understand what are the tasks, what are the priorities, because this is how you can deliver your work the most efficiently. So I'm trying to organize my tasks The person also to know more precisely who I will work with as a team, but also as stakeholders. So if I need to get information, who can I contact quickly? Then there is this planning brief step, which normally happens on, on Mondays. And I try to attend the most meetings relevant to my project, but I cannot duplicate myself. So <laughs> sometimes I'm just meeting them and hoping that I'm, I'm not missing some important information. And then I can, when I have... You need to be like Hermione from Harry Potter, where, where she yeah. has this uh, special device where she is like duplicating herself in different classes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's an English term, but it's ubiquity in French, the ubiquity gift when you can be at several places at, in one time. But uh, I'm not mm -hmm. gifted with uh, ubiquity yet. So no. <laughs> so yes, when this planning, organizing step is more or less ready because it's never, it's never perfect, it's never as clear as we want it to be. I'm trying to start to work with the team. So the designer, we are discovering the, the project, trying to retrieve, because when we start a project at Open Classrooms, we have the business goals, user goals, and then we start to draft the user stories. So we work on this together. We do the research. On my side, I'm trying to identify the most important terms that will be used throughout the flow or the, the feature, depending on, on what it is. How you do that? This is difficult. <laughs> so at first, I'm just trying to identify action verbs or to retrieve what's existing and to see if this can be used in, in that context. For example, if we're working on a calendar or... So this, is, this word, for example, is going to be very important. Even the word of booking a slot, is it book? Is it schedule? So this is one of my first steps in the process. It's really uh, trying to identify those terms, see if they are used elsewhere, if they are already used by your, by your uh, students. And I have a really nice tool for that. It's uh, Workplace, which is the community, the social network for B2B, I believe, from Facebook. So our students, mentors, because we have mentors as well, alumni, they talk a lot on this platform. So there I can mm. see the conversation. On Facebook Workplace. Yes, Facebook, yes, Facebook Workplace. So you're doing something we, we like to call conversation mining, where you yeah. like identify terms in different conversations yes. of your users, and then you try to use the same terms in your app so it will be conversational. 
Yes, and also to identify if yeah if it's used, if it's not used, and also the expectation around it if we are uh, going in the right direction or if the term that uh, that is no use is not at all understood by people. So workplace is really nice for that. Also, then there's support customer support tickets. We dig into uh, yeah into different platforms, and also we have we use Notion. When I try to understand mm -hmm. how the stakeholders, for example, deal with the topic, I also go dig into uh, Notion and try to look for uh, content that was published or if there are processes that can help me understand how the flow is going on their side also. So it's really digging. <laughs> But it's really interesting. What kind of content do you have on Notion? I'm not sure that I got it. We have the processes, the tests. It's, it's internal Wikipedia, so we have lots of things. It's not customer facing, but also it can help to understand the expectation also of stakeholders towards what we are doing. For example, if they raised uh, problems that were not mentioned in the initial brief and what, why was it not in the initial brief? So it's wider context I'm trying to retrieve from Notion. It's, but it's internal context. It's not a user or it's just for my understanding. Yeah. That's cool. It's doing archaeology some, somehow. <laughs> so, and I'm trying new tool. I'm also uh, trying to also check when I am hesitating between two terms. I check simply the number of requests on Google or Google Trends. I'm trying lots of tools depending on the project, on the, on the need. And then we start to, to work, to design with the designers. We, we talk about, we workshop on the design. I tried some first, what I call lo-fi copy. So it's not uh, set in stone, it's not supposed to be in prod, it's just there to retrieve feedback. I have feedback from the designer, from also the other UX writer, from the squad, from lots of people. Then we go to user test and I'm not attending to all of them, but uh, I try to, to attend to some. And also I'm trying to write the protocol and the question with the designers because I want also to have specific feedback. It's important for me to be involved in, in, in that part. Otherwise, you can miss uh, information and, not, uh, and questions. My questions wouldn't be addressed. I try to, to be there at that point. So a protocol is like a document that you create with your design. So to create more rationality to your design and to answer questions of stakeholders. Or you ask questions in the protocol. It's more for the user test. We try to identify the scenarios, the questions that we want to answer, the hypothesis. This is the test protocol. And uh, then we have, it's a Google Sheet where we have the different testers, the hypothesis, the task we ask the user to, to complete, the question we want to answer. And then we try to do synthesis to take the most relevant insight. And then we edit designs and copy according to this. So this is more, yeah, it's an internal document for us to, to keep track of, of what happened during user tests. And it can be shared wow. to others. So uh, this is amazing. What, what a process. What's the cycle yeah. length? <laughs> like, is it like two days, five days, one month, six months? A sprint is two weeks for UX, two weeks for UI. And in between, we have a UX commitment. So we commit the design and copy with the squad. And uh, the UI is when the copy is finally ready and then I can start to work on preparing copy for the for the dev so translation keys etc and preparing copy for translation brief or amazing you're using Jira to do the sprints do you use like Jira to do the sprints yes yes nice okay wow I just mentioned it we commit with the stakeholders we commit with the squad and then 
And then, as I just mentioned, I am preparing elements for dev and translation. We are not really, uh, really 100% okay on that aspect, but we try to analyze what we released according to the the KPI. Is it fitting the expectation? Is it below? Uh, why? And then try to iterate. This part is in the ideal world. We are working on it, but this is the the goal. Yes, is to really be iterative and and yeah. And as you mentioned, we are. It's a pretty. It can seem a pretty heavy process, but we adapted the tools and and the communication and lots of things for it to be efficient. And we are still working on it. It's always evolving. So the goal is just to be rational. If we have feedback, we can back up with the data we retrieve, the user tests, etc. It's just to be solid on what we propose. So I have two questions yeah. for you. Because first of all, I'm blown away with your answer. It's first of all, it's great. And if anyone wants to get into the field of UX writing right now, this is how process should look like. And this is like just write notes and you know the different tools and how they're communicating with each other. It's amazing. It's not always the case. It's not always when what I just I know, mentioned. I this is the the vision, the goal, and. As we're working on several projects, we can't be ever, but this is what is understood in the company and this is what also is accepted by the teammates. So this is really interesting. I know. Sometimes you have a mess, you have a cluster, it's complicated and we have to wing it as we go. Uh, but ideally, this is the process. Uh, this is how it's supposed to be like. But okay, you said something about KPIs. Uh, KPIs to the listeners that don't know, this is key performance indicators, numerical numbers that we're trying to achieve with our company, with our business. So my question to you, Helen, is how does a UX KPI look like? Like what kind of so, numbers are you trying to achieve, and how do you know that your design or writing can achieve it? It depends on the project. Sometimes it's, I cannot just say words here, but uh, I because know. I don't remember simply. <laughs> but it's, for example, if I'm working on, on the new welcome page where, before you just start the admission process, what is the goal? Is it to have more applicants or is it to have more qualified applicants? And this is a global KPI. And unfortunately, we are not there yet to just uh, say uh, this is the KPI, for example, that we could use for measuring copy or just measuring this this as aspect. It's more a global one. This is the indicator uh, based on which we can say if it's a success or if it's something to be re reworked on. Mm -hmm. Got it. So, for example, I'm just throwing numbers here. You have an action that you want user to perform on that page. And you're like, okay, we need at least 10% of the users that are coming to this page to perform this action. Otherwise, this design is not great and we need to iterate on that and improve it, correct? Yes, it's not just about design. It's really the KPI we have concerned the whole aspect. If the KPI is not, if the number is not reached, we try to identify the reason. And sometimes it's not about design. It's about something that is not working in the development side or sometimes it's just, It's something that is linked to only copy or just to the design uh, in global. Right. But it's, it's not, uh, yeah, it's a global number, but we analyze it to identify the cause and to link it to the chapter, so to say, either front or either design or either copy and design or either. Uh, right. It's just like if the marketing copy of the Facebook ads promise a web development course and then in the web page, it's like, front-end course and then there isn't alignment in the copy maybe that's the case like there wasn't yep. like maybe there there are different like yep. uh, cases where it could be like that okay that's answered my question and 
you told me about your efficient processes that like you're kind of uh, you're trying to achieve those processes so what is the setup of those tools like are you communicating you said jira or like slack or while working so what will be the best way to communicate with your team to create that efficient workflow It's funny because at first when I arrived, I believed that I could communicate with all designers the same way. But actually, naturally, I have my small habits with every of them and it's the same with developers. So, but the main thing for me is just to adapt to them. So I'm using their tools. I'm trying to empathize not only with users, but with teammates and use the language and try to make the communication the most efficient in terms of tools. You mentioned Slack, we use it a lot. And especially uh, now, as we are remote, we, just, we can just come to the office one day a week. So yeah, we write a lot. Jira is for its devs. That is, uh, it's a tool that is uh, really designed for dev. At least this is how I perceive it. <laughs> so it's not the most easy to use for me, but everything goes through Jira and it's about task management. So I'm using it. I'm using also Figma a lot for, because I need to see copy in the context. I need to work with the designers. We, I need to sometimes to, sometimes to also adapt slightly uh, some, some design aspect to, for my copy to fit in. So I, yeah, I'm using it. I learned and I'm asking a lot of designers to, to help me understand how it's working because uh, sometimes it's not as simple. It's a design tool, so you need to learn it. And with designer, we actually, we communicate much more on Figma than in Slack with one designer. With comments. Yes, with comments. And when I'm not on my mailbox, I also have this Figma plugin on, uh, on Slack so I can see uh, <laughs> in, uh, in Slack if I need to, to speak with designers. And with the squad, we have some ceremonies, the stand-ups. I'm not attending to all of them because otherwise I would be just in meetings all day. But it's really nice because every morning, if I have a question, a concern, I can just show up <laughs> in the daily, ask my question and go. And this is nice also to keep touch, to keep contact, sorry, with the squad. The squad, yes, it's, it's featured teams uh, that are specialized in one aspect of the product, which can be, which can be uh, acquisition, employers and B2B or uh, student support, which is mentor, mentors, which are mentors and um, coaches, etc. And is it connected to the Facebook workplace? No, no, no. The squads are really, it's teams in which you have uh, one designer, two front-end, two back-ends, one PM, one PO. And I have three squads that I'm taking care of. So I'm transversal. Very cool. So the ratio of writer to designer is like one writer to three designers? Yes, yes, yes. We are two. There are seven for now and will be three in May. Oh, congrats. Yeah. Are you hiring? Have you found someone? Yes, yes. It was a really difficult path. <laughs> I'm Challenging yes, to hire someone yes. to find the right one. So glad to have her coming yeah, in the team. And, uh, Congratulations. Thank you. I'm happy for you. <laughs> Good. Based on our salary surface or a ratio of one to three, is the happiest UX writers have a ratio of one to three? Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting piece of data that we've collected. Thank you for all of these insights. That's amazing. So I want to ask you also about what is... Okay, so we talked about tools and processes and also like we talked a lot about your processes, which was amazing. Like I'm mind blown here and I learned a lot about how to work better with my team even. And I want to know 
what is your favorite tool? So we, we talked about many tools and like Notion and, and Slack and you don't even, even have to say the tool, one of the tools that you've talked about, but what's your favorite tool today? Because I, I'm like a child in a Play Store. I like to try all tools and then see if they could help my team too. Yeah. So what's your favorite tools this day? Days? I won't be very original. I would say Figma because uh, I can see uh, all the, if there are several people in the, in the design when there are stakeholders and stuff. So I can see everybody and I can talk with designer and I can, I can have my impact on the design. So it's, for me, it's a tool that uh, is also synonymous of, okay, let's say it, of joy because we are not just here to put words. We are there to, to be an actor. And Figma, I think the way it's made, allow this. So this is, I would say, yeah, I'm not a really original. So yeah, Figma. That's okay. Figma is a great tool and uh, I use it all the time. And I use it even to do graphic design, not only yeah. to do user interface design. It's pretty cool. Okay. So first of all, I learned a lot today. So thank you for that. I want to ask you, Ellen, how do you think we should name this episode? Maybe you're extracting at Open Classrooms, but it would be very promotional. So I'm not even sure, but it's, it was about processes. We talked a lot, as you say, about processes. That, that's good. That's good. I like it. I like it. So yeah. we can do something with Open Classroom because Open Classroom is like a name drop and we like name drops. They okay. bring more listeners. So you explaining an open classroom, that could be okay. I think that's an okay name. That would be option one. Uh, but maybe something about processes. I think like we talked Making, about your process and it was... Yeah. And I'm just thinking to something because uh, at Open Classrooms, we have a mission, which is make education accessible. And as we talked a lot about processes, maybe making process accessible. <laughs> You're explaining at Open Classrooms. Making process accessible at Open Classroom. Yeah, I think we are bending the initial mission, but I think it's okay. <laughs> and That's what writers do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to you? Yeah, it does. All right, Ellen. So first of all, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure to have you today. Probably people are going to have maybe questions or they like to follow you or reach you. What would be the best place to do that? LinkedIn would be yeah, best platform. Perfect. So I'm going to share your LinkedIn in the show notes. Ellen, so another question that I have for you is what is your recommendation for new UX writers, for people that want to get into the field, people that are just starting right now? I'm also pretty new to the field. So I would say that even if you can take lots of advice from really interesting books like Strategic UX for Strategic Writing, sorry, for UX from Tore Potmajerski, if I'm not butchering her name, and sorry if I did, it's also really important to be open to to the users and to read a lot, newspapers, books, nonfiction, fiction, etc. And I'm in the education field, so I'm listening lots of rap music to understand also how, for example, some professions, some jobs in education are understood by users. And for example, I was working in a, in a project where I was hesitating in a term and I looked in some rap songs to see if it appeared and how was it perceived and it was really badly perceived. So... This is really useful to use culture, pop culture, to to make your content uh, really relevant for, for users. Read. Wait, 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 wait. So how did you learn about a profession on a rap song? I was hesitating with the terms, so I talked about it in, uh, in the learning design team. And she said, oh, I'm not sure we should use it. 
And I remember a, a song where it's mentioned. So she sent me the link. I listened and it was really bad. And she said, yeah, in lots of, um, in lots of uh, songs and even in the traditional education field, this job is really badly perceived. I could... What job is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I would say, orientation specialist. This is a mm -hmm. job that uh, says you should go in this kind of studies. You should do this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a career advisor or something like that. Yes. I was hesitating with the term and yeah. And for example, yeah, rap songs are, it's like the poetry of the 21st century. So you can find lots of background in the, in rap music or even in, in other kinds of, of music. But, um, so is there a rap song about orientation specialist? Yeah, I cannot recall the name, but it's in <laughs> French and it, it's uh, from a rapper called uh, Nekfeu. <laughs> if you want to, to look at it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's not about the, um, the orientation specials, but it's, yeah, it's, I think it's talking about school, if I remember correctly. Got it. About like negative aspects of this profession and how those people are trying to lure you to take the course or something like that, right? Like something negative about those people or yes. they kind of have incentives to put you in like one job place than the other or one course than the other. Yes, without, fuss, without listening to your needs, listening to your personality, without having background. So, and we were in this page actually addressing young, youngsters. So <laughs> it, it, if we uh, use the term orientation specialists, they would, I think, stuck it to, to what they know of, which is not something uh, that is really popular among youngsters. So what was the name that you chose based on your research with the, the different songs and the different poetry? So how did you call it? I think we went with the very simple advisors because we also didn't want to... It was to talk about a person that were a sales specialist, but also they're here to sell a training program, but they're also here to help people to find the most relevant training program for them. So they're at the, in between being a sale and being an orientation specialist. So we call them, I think in English, if I remember correctly, advisors. But I'm not, I'm, actually, it's uh, from a while ago, so I'm not sure. Maybe the name of the episode should be How Rap Songs Can Make You a Better Youth Writer. <laughs> But it's so, so uh, interesting. And it's the rhymes, the structure, the rhythm. You can take so much inspiration from it. I love it. Very cool. Okay. Any other tips for uh, UX writing beginners? I think, uh, <laughs> no, I don't it. have. Just be open. <laughs> <laughs> be open for change. Learn. I know that you're relatively new in the field. Um, so all of these are great advice. And that's about it for today. So thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Writers It Tech. My name is Yuval. I'm the CEO and founder of the UX Writing Hub. Check our platform. We have a free course also on the website, so you can check it out as well. And thank you very much, Ellen, for being here today and for teaching us about Open Classroom and how you make education accessible to the world. I learned a lot and I'm sure that the listeners learned also a ton. If you listen to it, I want to recommend you to go back to the start, take pen and paper, write and everything that you can and it will definitely help you to improve your processes. So that's about it for today. Ellen, thank you so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Ciao. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye.